me ask a quick question as we start off this morning. What's your favorite holiday? You could say something else if you want to. Don't feel any pressure. <laughs> well, it's not a holiday, but well, she makes it pretty close to that. She does. <laughs> so, so how many of you said Thanksgiving? How many of you said something else? What's the something else? Somebody said Easter. Somebody said birthday. All right. Uh, you know what? What makes uh, holiday special is what we're remembering, what we're doing in those times. Uh, if you said your birthday, you might be a little self-absorbed, but we'll leave that between you and God. <laughs> but if you said Easter, what are you thinking about? Oh, the resurrection. That's just a great time of the year, isn't it? And if you said Christmas, hopefully you're not thinking about your presents. You're thinking about it's Jesus' birthday we celebrate. If you said Thanksgiving, you're thinking, man, it's just a great time to be grateful, to be thankful. And maybe you just like football. I don't know. But either way, or food, or really good food, either way, there's there's things that really uh, draw us to those things. And, and this morning, the title of my message is Thanksgiving, but it's a little different, Thanksgiving, okay? So if you notice from the picture that Stephen put up, we do something because we're thankful. What do you think that is? A little hint there. We give out of thankful hearts. Now, for all of you who had a real warm and fuzzy feeling and you just lost it, we're talking about giving this morning. Now, don't be afraid, okay? Don't be scared by giving. Giving is a wonderful thing. In fact, we'll do a little exercise right at the beginning here. I'll give you a heads up how we're going to do it. We're going to, each of us are going to take the money out of our wallet, and then we're going to swap with somebody. So I'm going to give you just a few minutes. Go ahead. Go ahead and start getting it. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. I am amazed. I am really amazed. Some of you are reaching for your wallets. Some of you may have been looking around going, I bet that person's got more money than me. I'm, I'm doing this. <laughs> Some of you are going, boy, I'm glad I only carry a debit card. <laughs> Listen, if anybody ever tells you to do something like that, don't do it, okay? Because here's the thing that, that we believe here really, really strongly about this. And I, don't, I don't talk about giving a ton. And, and I should talk more about it because it's in the Bible and it's a, it's a principle of the, the scriptures and we should talk more about it. But I know it bothers people and I let that influence me because people get nervous and they get like, oh, don't touch that. And, and I'm not saying that you're really doing that. That's just how it feels to me. So maybe you don't. Uh, maybe, maybe you love talking about it. I hope you do. Because cause here's the thing, you know, as Christians... We want what we believe about God to influence every arena of our lives, don't we? Because if you walk with God and he's your, he's your Lord, he's your master, your life's going to be different than somebody who doesn't walk with him. It should be, right? And this is certainly one of those areas. People don't just give money away just because. Now, now some people are generous that don't know God. Uh, usually those people have a lot of money, like Bill Gates, and, and he can give away a million dollars and not even feel it. And, you know, I won't question anybody's motives that gives outside of God. Maybe they're just naturally generous people. But when you do it because of God, 
it takes on a whole different meaning. It takes on a whole different perspective. So here's my, my hope that, that you will think about this morning as we're talking about this topic. Life with God, okay, is going to be different than life without God. And life with God leads us to generosity. It leads us there if we're willing to go there. Now, now sometimes people aren't willing to go there, all right? Sometimes people struggle with generosity because you know what? You, you, you feel like, ah, oh, I'm just not one of those people that can, can give like that. It's just not my natural uh, tendency. And, and maybe you think, well, I just don't have enough money to do that. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. But here's, here's my challenge for you as we start off. We're going to talk about this area, and, and we're going to use the Scriptures as our guide. All right? So we're not going to do anything outside of God's Word. All right? We're going to wait just a minute. We're not going to do anything outside of God's Word. We're going we're gonna to use that as our guide. So here's what I, I certainly believe is that that you should use that as your guide in this area as well as any area. So if I ever teach anything and you think, oh, that's outside, you, you just if it's outside of God's word, you just disregard it. It's not going to be because we're going to use it. We're going to talk about it. But here's one of the things that I don't believe in, and I, and I hope that, and I always check my heart on this topic because I never want to try to manipulate people with scriptures, Okay. I have a, a healthy fear of God in that area. I do not want to use the scriptures to manipulate you to do something that benefits me somehow or something like that, or the church even. So that's not the goal. The goal is just to present the truth because I really believe the abundant life that Jesus came to give us includes a generous heart. I just think that's part of it. I think that's part of what he wants to do in our lives. So when we talk about this, we're going to start with, with this God's place in our life. Now, Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? When he said greatest, he's talking about first priority. What's the biggest one? If you just point to the the one you think, if anybody needs to know about God's commandments, this is number one. He said, what would it be? And so this is it. Turn over over Deuteronomy 6, or they'll just put it up on the screen, and I'll just read it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is where the commandment that he said came from. He said this, love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay? That was the commandment Jesus pointed to. He said, if you want to know what the greatest commandment is, right there. That's it. Love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of it. Why? Because he's so worthy of that. That's who he is. He's worthy of that kind of love. So Jesus pointed to that. He said, look, God wants first place in your life. And God deserves first place in your life. Not second, not third, nothing. So in, in Matthew, you can turn over this to this passage with me. In Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 24. And it says this. Actually, we're just going to read 24 right now. We'll come back to Matthew 6 a little later. He says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here's what Jesus is saying. You can have two of a lot of things. You can have two dogs. You can have two cats. You can have two cars. You might even have two houses. But here's the one thing you can't have two of, two masters. You shouldn't have two of those. (laughs) 
I almost said you shouldn't have two wives. You shouldn't have two masters, okay? Now, here's why you shouldn't have two masters, okay? Because the nature of a master is that he gets to tell you what to do, right? He gets to lead your life. If you have two of them, there's a conflict, right? Now, here's a saying that I don't know who originated it, but it's pretty good. Money makes a great servant, but what? Terrible master, okay? Because it will lead you all over the place. And Jesus said, look, you can't serve God and money. So the implication is pick God there, right? Don't pick money because money is a terrible master. So um, giving is going to be a part of our lives as Christians, and I'm going to tell you why it's going to be a part of our life. Just a few reasons. First of all, uh, God wants us to be like him. Did you know that? One of his goals for us is to for us to emulate him, to, to value what he values and to do what he does. And so guess what God is? He's a giver. Did you know that? He owns everything, and he bestows generously to all. He gives to people who don't even like him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he gave Jesus the ultimate gift. So he gives not only generously, but sacrificially. Do you think that gift hurt? I think that gift hurt. So he's showing us how, how we should do things. And so he's a giver, and he wants us to give. Now, when it comes to this arena of giving, the heart really does matter, okay? The heart matters. When it comes to giving, God's not just saying, okay, I want your cash. I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you're mad about it. Just give it. That's not it at all because does he need your money? He really doesn't. He really doesn't need your money. But what he wants is what? Your heart. And guess what always tend to get locked together our riches or our treasures and our heart no matter how much or how little you have those two things tend to get locked together so the heart really does matter when it comes to this because jesus said look he told a lot of people he said, don't give like the pharisees do their hearts in the wrong place so don't do it that way and so what we know is that he wants our heart to be in the right place and here's why that matters because one of the things that he does for us in giving is he increases our faith in God. So giving will help our hearts come to a place where our faith begins to increase. Because you know what it takes to give out of something that you've worked hard for or that, that has, uh, you know, maybe you see as a limited resource to let go of some of that? What does that take? It takes a little faith, doesn't it? It takes a trust that, okay, God is bigger. God can take care of me. So it helps me to do that. It also helps me to acknowledge where everything comes from. You see, if I think I'm my own source, that's a very limited view. Because I can only earn so much, do so much, and we all have different capacities in that arena, don't we? I mean, some people have, have gifts that can earn them a lot of money. Some people have gifts that earn them a smaller amount of money. You know, if, if you're a teacher, you deserve more money than you get, Right? But you do it for other reasons, right? You do it because you care, hopefully, because it's, it's important, right? It's something you got to do. So here's the thing that, that we need to realize. It helps us put our heart in the right place. It helps us realize, okay, everything comes from him. We're acknowledging the source, and we're thankfully acknowledging the source. Okay, so, so when I give, I'm saying, God, you know what? You're my source, and I'm grateful for what you put into my hands. 
I'm happy to do this because you have given me more than I need. Now, the other thing that it helps us do is it helps us live free of the sin of greed. Did you know that greed is a sin? That the scripture is very clear that greed is a sin. Now, if you live in America, you might almost think it's a value. And I don't say that to knock America, but we put a very high priority on money. In fact, you know what? We have a lot of topics that will be discussed when we have elections, but you know what ultimately drives a lot of them? What we think somebody's going to do for us with money. If we're in a position where we need some and we think, well, that guy's going to give it to me, or if we've got some and we want to hang on to as much of it, and we say, well, that guy's not going to take as much from me, whatever it is, that drives elections. And, and so a lot of the things that we do in this country, in fact, um, you know, without getting into the whole ordeal and making people's opinions present in your mind and you get off and don't listen to anything else I say, the whole thing that's gone on in, in football, because it's football season, with the whole people protesting the, you know, through the national anthem and all that kind of stuff, you know what ultimately gets the owner's attention when it comes to dealing with that issue? If they start to lose revenue. If they believe, if they believe, you know what? If, if they keep doing this, it's going to cost me money. Then they clamp down. Now, the reason for that is they may, they're not doing us a service to have football on. They're making money, right? It's money. Advertisers pay big bucks to be on those stuff. TV programs that you might watch. You ever, you ever looked at how, how much shortened the program is if you dropped all the advertisements? It's like probably 15 minutes on an hour program, isn't it? Do you think you really, you go, what, do I really sit and watch that many advertisements? Now, I'm a channel surfer. I just flip around when there's commercials going on and try to find somewhere there's not a commercial on while it's on. But there's a lot of commercials. Why is that? Because they know it drives everything. So we want to avoid greed. Now, when we talk about greed, here's the thing. Most people don't think they're greedy. Like if I said, how many of you this morning are greedy? I won't ask you to do this, okay? But think about it. Just think in your own mind. Would you go, yeah, I'm greedy. I got a real problem with this. Most of us would go, I'm not greedy, but I know somebody who's greedy. <laughs> not me, but I know somebody like that. Well, here's the thing about greed. Let me just kind of give you an idea what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about that desire to acquire and accumulate things, Okay. Now, there's nothing wrong. Here's, here's what I want to be very clear about, too. Uh, in Scripture, God blesses people. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with God blessing your life. So we're not talking about it being wrong to have things. We're talking about this thing inside of you that drives you to acquire and have them. Why does it drive you to acquire and have them? Because who you are is linked to them. You can't see yourself as successful unless you succeed monetarily. I've got stuff, I've got a bank account, all those kind of things. You can't see yourself in a way that you're supposed to because you don't, you're judging it by your neighbor. You're looking at your neighbor and you're going, yeah, I was content until they got a car or I was content until this, they told me this and then I saw it on Facebook and now, you know, and there's this phenomenon that psychologists are dealing with with Facebook where they say when people go on and they see all these things, this, I, this stuff stirs in them. My life's not enough. My life's not sufficient. And so sometimes that's greed in us. You know, we're wanting more. 
we're, we're wanting more than what we have. So greed um, is very prevalent in our society. And so sometimes identifying it can be challenging for us because it feels like the norm. But we have to learn as Christians to push back against that because the desire to acquire, the desire to have should never consume our lives. You know what? If God blesses you and you want to buy a new TV, buy a new TV. But don't let the, the desire to have one consume you. you. You follow the difference? There's a difference between those two things. So we're not talking about living poverty because somehow that proves that, that blesses God. No, we're talking about just not letting stuff control us. We're not letting the desire for stuff control us. Now, when it comes to this arena of giving, here's what we also want to identify. How do we do it? You know, what, what is the, the method that God has chosen? What's the way that he wants us to do it? Because if he wants us to be generous, here's the thing that's interesting, is that if I asked what generosity was, everybody in this room would probably have a different idea of what that is. Some people might think, well, every now and then I'm driving down the road and I stop at a stoplight and there's a guy with a sign and I hand him five bucks. I'm a generous person. Somebody might go, you know, I support 15 orphans in Africa every month and I'm generous. Or somebody, you know, we could go down the list. There'd be a ton of different things that people would think, well, that makes me generous. And so what God did for us was he established a benchmark. He established a way to start. Now, I want to be clear about this. I believe this is a starting point that God put us all at because it's amazing how it works consistently throughout different stations of life and where people are and everything. And, and the starting point is called, does anybody know? The tithe. All right. You might know what that word means. It's a biblical word. It means tenth. It's just a real simple thing. People say, well, I tithe 4%. Well, that's not what the word means. You're, you give 4% if that's what you do. But the word means tenth. All right. So God established this. Now, there are a lot of godly people who disagree about what the Bible says about this. Okay. So, so I'm going to tell you what I believe about it. I'm going to tell you why I believe what I believe about it. And then it's between you and God what you do with that, okay? Because I'm going to give you just a brief overview of what this, this percentage idea is in the Scriptures. Because some people will say, well, that's the law. I'm not under the law, so don't tell me about that. So the, the reality of Scripture, if you've read it, is that tithing was before the law, okay? If you go all the way back to Cain and Abel, Here's what, and some people would even say, in the Garden of Eden, God said, you can have all this stuff but that one. And he set aside a portion and said, don't eat from that tree. And so God's always said, you know, when they went into Jericho, he told them, don't take anything from Jericho. It's the first city that you get to take. Don't take the stuff. Don't take it for you. Leave it for me. Okay? It's holy to the Lord. Um, if we went back to Cain and Abel, a lot of people uh, think that the reason that, that uh, Cain's sacrifice was not the right type of sacrifice because it wasn't an animal. I don't think they were offering sin offerings. I think they were offering first fruits because it says that Cain was a tiller of the ground, and so he offered the fruit of the ground. And Abel was a shepherd, and he offered from his flock. So what are they doing? They're taking a tithe from what the abundance that God has blessed them with, and they're offering it. Now, his heart was in the wrong place, and that's what God was dealing with. We also know Abraham. Now, remember, Abraham's before law too, right? He offered a tenth of everything from the spoils of rescue and lot to Melchizedek, right? Melchizedek was a priest of the day, and so he offered a tenth. Now, how did he come up with that number? Just random? 
Well, there's a lot of randomness, if that's the case. So what's he saying? He understands his principle, doesn't he? The principle just keeps getting handed down. Now, when we get to the law, here's what we know. The law got very specific about how to do it. Okay, It wasn't just, just a tithe off the first fruits. There was very specific tithes that were to be given. In fact, most people, because there was one tithe that they gave every three years, there was one tithe for the poor. And so most people would, would calculate that are smarter than me when they can go through and figure all this up, that maybe about 23 to 25% of Israel's income was given. So if you think that the law is 10, no, it's more. So, so here's the thing, though, that with, throughout Scripture we see is that there was, this, there was this benchmark that God put out there. He said, okay, you're all going to be different about what you think is generous. So here's where you can start. Start here. Now, for some people, when they hear that word, tenth, they think, it's too much, I can't do that. And so that's why we tend to go, well, we live in the New Testament. Right? We're in the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't talk about that. But did you also know there's a group of people that will not allow musical instruments in their assemblies because the New Testament doesn't talk about instruments? Now, there's kind of an assumption that some things just transfer over. Now, here's why I assume that it stays in the New Covenant. So I'll I'll give this to you. You do whatever you want with it. Take it before God and pray about it. Um, Because as I said, a lot of Christians disagree on this point. One of the things that we should realize about the difference between New Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament... Jesus came to fulfill the law, okay? So anything that was a sacrifice that pointed to Jesus that was, that was fulfilled in Christ, it's done, okay? We don't go out and slaughter a lamb for our sins. That was fulfilled, okay? There were many ordinances and, and things that were pointing to Jesus, and they were fulfilled. This particular arena, though, remember some of the benefits of it? Uh, first of all, we keep God first. We keep faith in God, acknowledge him as our source, uh, it fends off greed, all those things we just talked about. You think that all got done away with, that we don't need that anymore? No, that's a life thing. That's something that's always going on. So one of the additional purposes, though, besides all the things that we mentioned, was it was a means that God would provide for those who serve him. Okay, the tithe was given to who? The priest, right? So the priest was the person who served God on a full-time basis, and those offerings would sustain them. Now, some people would say, well, that's again the Old Testament. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read a, a fairly large passage, so I want you to stay with me. So if you can follow along, that'd be great. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because, you know, sometimes context is really important. In fact, all the time it is, but... Sometimes it really helps clarify a passage if you read where it's found and what it says about it. And so some of you may need this because I've had people a lot of times tell me, and you might believe in tithing, you might have somebody say, well, that's not in the New Testament. So you could go, well, I don't know, is it? So we're going to answer that question. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start in verse 1. And Paul says this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthians, some of them would say, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And so Paul is offering a defense of the fact that he is an apostle and he has some authority in their lives because he is an apostle. 
would you agree that he's an apostle? We can say, you know, we look at Paul's life and go, yes, he was definitely an apostle. So, but listen to what he says further. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Now, some people uh, have, have ruled that in the church that ministers and, in fact, priests in the Catholic church are not allowed to have wives. And they say, well, you know, that's going to be our ordinance. For I don't know how they say it, but it's not scriptural, is it? Because Paul here very clearly says what? The other apostles have wives that travel with them. In fact, Peter does. Peter does. So he says, look, are we the only ones that don't do that? Now, Paul didn't, right? That was a choice, not a command, a choice. Uh, verse 6, or is it, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So if you know anything about Paul, Paul worked to support himself. So we, we know that's the truth, that that's what he did. He says it many times. But listen to what he's saying here. He said, are we the only ones that, that, refrain from, that don't refrain from that right? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? So if we send somebody to war, guess what we don't do? We don't go raise your own funds. We pay them, right? So he said, who serves as a soldier at their own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? And who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? And then he says in verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? So he says, look, that's a natural argument I just made, but let's go back and let's see how God established it. Now, point, where did he point to? The law. Wait a minute, we're not under the law. You're not under the law for righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness, but there are principles within the law that still work and that are true. So Paul goes back to the law and he says this, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he is treading out the grain. Now, he says, is it for oxen that God's concerned? So there was a law in Israel, if your oxen is working for you, you don't forbid him from eating. So the principle was there, but it pointed to something bigger. Paul's saying, look, God's not really that concerned about the ox, but he's teaching you a principle. Does he not speak uh, for our sake, as it is written, for our sakes, uh, because the plowman should plow in hope and the threshing the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul again is talking about his choice in that. In verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed, now he's pointing back again to the law, those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, now he didn't say, but disregard that, that's law, did he? He pointed to it as an example. So he said, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, who did he say said that? Who's the Lord? Jesus said that when he sent his disciples out and he said, don't take money with you. And he said this, he said, the laborer is worthy of his hire. So he's saying, God said that. Jesus said that. 
He points to the law. So he's pointing back to what was already established. And in verse 15, he says this, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, look, here's the norm. Here's the established way that it's handled. I'm not going to take advantage of it, though. Now, some people would go, well, so Paul is saying we shouldn't take advantage of it. Well, if that's the case, then you shouldn't get married either. Because Paul didn't take advantage of that right either. So if you want to use Paul all the way across the board, don't get married either. That's not what he's saying. Now, how do we know that's not what he's saying? Well, if we jump over to 1 Timothy, and Timothy and Titus, those are called pastoral epistles because there's a lot of instruction about the church in them. There's a lot of instruction about how things should be handled. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says this. This is instruction to Timothy. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, you might say, what's double honor? Well, the word honor there means a price paid or received. In fact, when we give someone a gift for speaking, we call it an honorarium, don't we? Okay, so when he's using the word honor here, he's not talking about a thank you. He's talking about actual monetary things. Now, how do we know he's talking about that for sure? Well, right after that, he said, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox where it treads out, when it treads out the grain. That's what he told us in 1 Corinthians, wasn't it? And then, in, if your edition of your Bible is red letter, it's in red, it says, the laborer deserves his wages. So the context is money, isn't it? It's pretty clear that it is. So again, he's pointing out what Jesus said. He's pointing out what the law said. So does what we see in the Old Testament when it comes to this area of giving transfer over to the New Testament? It does. Now, people will argue that. And here's what they will say. They will say, well, the New Testament standard is just generosity. It's not a number. Okay. And, and if that's what you want to do, and that's what you feel like God says, then just be generous. But you're really going to have to figure out what that means. Because how do you know when you're generous? Here's the problem. When we get to judge that, we're not real good at discerning our own hearts in this area. So I think God gave us a standard and said, here you go. Here's where you start. Now, do I recognize that people get have trouble with this? I do. That some people feel like that's just really hard. You know, one of the best things I think we can do for our kids is teach them this principle very young. I learned this principle from my parents that have done it all my life, never thought twice about it. Never, never is an issue for me. And I'm not saying that because I'm such a generous person. That's not my nature naturally speaking, but, you know, I just know it. I know the principle. I understand it. I understand how it works. And so it's, it's easier if you've done it all your life than it is when you get older to go. I had somebody tell me one time, there's no way I'll ever get ahead in life if I give away 10% of my income. It just doesn't work that way. And I understand that might be your thinking. And that would be true if God wasn't in the picture. <laughs> but that's not how it is. He's in the picture. So it's really a matter of trusting him with things. Now, let's, let's go back to the heart because more than anything in this message, I don't want to talk about the tithe. I brought that up because I think it's a part. But the heart is really key here. 
Okay, not just the amount, but the heart. The heart is really when it when it all comes to giving, it's about the heart. In fact, one of the most famous uh, passages about the tithe really had to do with the heart. Let me read it to you. In Malachi chapter 3, how many of you have ever read that passage? It talks about the tithe, right? Some of you might be able to quote it, but let's read the context of it, and let's, let's see what it says about the heart here. Uh, verse 6 of Malachi 3, we're going to go back a little bit from where people normally read, and he says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Now, isn't it interesting that that gets quoted all the time, but it rarely, rarely gets connected to giving. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. So in other words, he's saying, look, if I wasn't merciful, you guys would be done. Verse 7, for the days of your fathers, have, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statute and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So really the issue that precedes what God said about the tithe is their hearts are gone, right? Their hearts have left God, and God's saying, return to me. And they're going, we didn't leave. And so God says, well, let me show you how you left. And then he says what people typically quote about tithe, will a man rob God? Uh, Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, this whole nation. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, and I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So, God's making them a promise here, but really what he's after is their heart, isn't he? Did you catch that in there? It's not just about their tithe. It's about what their tithe was saying about their heart. And so here's something that when you go back and look at the book of Malachi, let's let's get an idea of what was going on here. First of all, you start off in the book of Malachi. The people of Israel were questioning God's love. That's where it starts. They were saying, you don't really love us. Now, if you ever get to that point in your life, everything else is going to go bad for you because you're not going to do anything for God if you believe what? He doesn't really care about me. He doesn't care about me. So that's what they were thinking. And then they dishonored him with their sacrifices. Here's what they were doing. This is what the book of Malachi says. They would, they would do this. If they had, were going to offer sacrifice, they'd look out among their flock and they'd go, that one's blind. I can't do anything with it. Let's give that to God. Or that one's lame. It's useless. Let's give that to God. Or, you know what they would do? They would steal an offering. Now imagine your heart's so bad about, and you're going to church on Sunday morning, and you're like, I need an offering. Let me give out my ski mask. I'm going to stop by the Circle K on the way, and I'm going to steal it. Are you wicked? You're wicked, all right? That's who he's talking to, okay? He's talking to a group of people that would steal their offering because that's how low they thought of God. Also, the priests of the day were not preaching from his word, okay? They had forsaken, in fact, he says this in the book of Malachi, he says the priest should guard knowledge and he's a messenger of the Lord. So somebody, and and this is the element, we don't have the priesthood the same way they did, but we still have people that teach us, we still have people who guard knowledge, who are messengers of God to give us the truth. 
And so that was going on his day. The other thing that were going on, Israel, the men of Israel were marrying women from other nations that God had said, don't marry them, they're idol worshipers. And so they were bringing them in. And then they were getting to the point where they were divorcing their wives for any and every reason. They didn't care, they just divorced. And so God was coming in to the nation of Israel and going through the prophet Malachi, you guys have some issues. And one of those issues was the tithe. But the broader picture was their heart was in a really bad place. Now, after you listen to what was going on there, would you agree? Their heart's in a really bad place. It wasn't just about the tithe. That was just one of those things that was showing it up. So uh, when it comes to this area of giving, here's the thing that we should realize. God watches uh, what we do, not because he doesn't know our heart, but because guess what giving always reveals? It reveals our heart. Now, if you think, well, does the Bible really say that? Well, we started in Matthew 6. We're going to go back to Matthew 6. So this is what Jesus had to say about this. And remember, we're talking about the heart here. And in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, you might think, well, we got banks. That doesn't happen anymore. But what's he saying here? Whatever you hold on to on the earth, it's limited in its lifespan, right? I mean, what if you amassed a great fortune in your life on earth and you died? Now, the pharaohs tried to take it with them, didn't they? They're buried with their riches. I'm taking it over into the other life. But you know what they discover when they find their tombs? Their stuff's still there. Their stuff is still there. They didn't take it with them. So he says, don't lay up treasure here, verse 19, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break through and break in and steal. Verse 21, listen to what Jesus is saying. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's Jesus telling us? Our heart and money get linked a lot. Because wherever we're investing that money, that's what we really love. And so he says, listen, invest it in eternal things. And you say, well, how do I invest it in eternal things? Well, you invest it in his kingdom. You invest it in people. And, and you don't just sock it in the bank. Now, is God saying you shouldn't save money? No, not at all. In fact, there's other places in Scripture that tell you to be prudent about that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there is this heart of giving that God wants his people to grasp. And it comes from our thankfulness. Now you say, what does that look like? What does a heart of giving look like? I'm glad you asked that question. So we're going to go over to 2 Corinthians. A couple more passages here. And you can take a deep breath. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So what's, what's a giving heart look like? Let's, let's look at this. This is a pretty neat passage. Verse 1 says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, here's the thing that you should realize Paul said about giving. It's a grace. If you got a generous heart, that's a grace. That's a neat thing. That's a good thing. In verse 2, he says, For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, extreme joy and extreme poverty don't usually go together, do they? We think if you're in extreme poverty, you don't have any joy. Well, these people did. 
And it says, look, out of their extreme poverty, because they had joy, a wealth of generosity came out. In verse 3, it says this, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Now, here's why we don't try to pressure you to give, because it really needs to be your choice. For God to bless it, it's got to come from you. It's got to come from your heart. So he says, look, these people gave uh, on their own accord. Listen to verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, I've been in the church a long time, and nobody's ever begged me to give. Could you please let me give to that? That's what was happening here. These people were poor, and yet they saw the, the, the grace of giving as such a blessing that they were like, please let me have a part in what you're doing. Please let me give to help the saints who are in trouble in Jerusalem. Now, that's a heart, right? I mean, isn't that a neat heart? Now, rather than get all worried about how much money you should give and everything, here's where you should start. Ask God for that heart. Say, God, I'd love to think like that. I would love to see giving as an opportunity, not as a burden. And then over in chapter 9, if you jump over one chapter, this, this whole two chapters, Paul talks about the grace of giving. But listen to what he says in chapter 9, verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully or literally with blessing will reap bountifully. So, so Paul's saying, you know, the principle of sowing and reaping, it works in giving. Now, some people will, will really overuse this idea to the point where they're saying, if you'll give $100 to my ministry, you'll reap 1000 and, and, you know, they make it like some kind of deal that you're getting with God. And, and really what he's promising is, look, you sow and you believe I'll take care of it, and, and trust me, I'll take care of it. I'll give you back more than you can imagine. In verse 7, each one of us, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, so not like, eh, I don't know, and not having somebody go, you better do it or God's going to get you. For God loves what? A cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. So Paul's throwing out this vision of giving, and it's this. Look, love it, be a generous person, and then watch how God works in your life. He's going to bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. Now, in fact, I'll say this. If when you give, all you're thinking about is just, well, God's going to bless me more, you're really shortchanging the idea because God could give you as much money as he wants. But let me tell you, there's stuff that's more valuable than money, isn't there? Anybody ever had your kids sick enough that you would give all that you own to be able to cure them? Or you've got somebody in, in trouble in your family and they're in the spot and you're like, if I could pay for this to change, I'd do it. I'd go in debt for it. So there's things that are more important than money. Would you agree? There's lots of things. So when it comes to uh, generosity and giving, Malachi teaches us this. You want to live in a place where you're under the open heaven. Now, here, here's what I believe that's talking about. You see, if you were a farmer and, and your crops were dependent upon rain from heaven, wouldn't you want to be in a place that rains a lot? I mean, people aren't going to be planting crops out in the desert because it's not raining there 
and the stuff's just going to shrivel up and die. So they're going to find places where the ground's really fertile, and it's, it's fertile because there's a lot of rain. There's a lot of what's needed. And so what God's telling us in the Malachi is, look, position yourself in your walk with God where you live under an open heaven. Now, is that just about money? When he says, I'll pour out a blessing that you won't be able to receive, well, is that just about money? No, because if God was just about money, then he'd be encouraging greed in us. And he's not doing that. But here's what he is doing. He's saying, look, if you want to live in the right spot, live here. Live in a place where you live with an open hand, where you trust me, and you acknowledge everything comes from me, and you're free of greed because you push that stuff to the side, and you just go, okay, God, everything comes from you, and therefore whatever you need that's in my hand, it's yours anyway. I'm just a steward, and I'm going to be faithful with it. Live there. And he says, that will be the place of the open heaven. Now, we're not bribing him, okay? And, and if you've ever heard me talk about tithe, God's not like the mafia. You know what the mafia did? They'd have all these businesses, and they'd send in a guy, and, and he'd be like, give me your money. And if they didn't do it, what would he do? Break their legs or something, right? Teach them a lesson so everybody else in the area knows, hey, better not do that. And some people will read that part where it says you're cursed with a curse, and they go, oh, if you don't tithe, God's going to get you. He's going to get you. It's going to fall apart for you. Your business is going to go south. And, and so people will say that, and then somebody won't tithe, and nothing happens. And they go, see, that doesn't matter. But see, what I think he's talking about here, anytime God is not pouring out his blessing on your life, and I don't mean just money, that's living under a curse. Living outside of his open heaven, that's, that's parched, that's dry, that's nothing. You don't want to live there. So live in that place where you're trusting, where you're going, you know what, God? I really believe you're good to me. See, Israel was missing that in Malachi. They thought, God's not good. He doesn't take care of us. They missed everything he'd done for them. So naturally, they don't honor him, so they're not honoring him with their money either. And so it's just an outflow of their life. So let God affect your heart in such a way that you go, you know what, God? You have blessed me. I have such abundance. I just want to be generous. Now, what that looks like between you and God is up to you. And I'll tell you one of the things that's challenging to me about this particular type of message. I see people's circumstances sometimes, and I'll be like, God, if I could just tell them, that gives you a pass. I mean, they're going through a rough, challenging time, and I'm like, don't give. Just don't give. Keep it. You need it. But you know what is wrong with that approach? Because when I do that, when I feel that way, I'm missing the whole idea of how God works. And if you do that, you're missing the whole idea of how God works. Now, here's why I'm going to tell you that. I believe this is absolutely scriptural that we shouldn't do that because Jesus one day was in the temple and he's watching everybody give. He's watching all these people drop in these large sums of money because they had lots of money. And he sees this one widow and she gives this tiny bit of money. And he points out to his disciples, she gave more than everybody. She gave all she had. But you know what he didn't do? Run over there and stop her. Oh, hey, don't give that. You need that more than we do. Take that back. You know why Jesus was fine about her giving it? Because he knew exactly what she was doing. She was opening the heavens. 
and, and by her faith to say, okay, God, hey, I got a little bit, but I'm going to give you what I got. He knows she's in her right position. She's good. All's good for her because God can take care of her. And he knew he would. He was absolutely certain of it. So he didn't stop her. He didn't stop her. Now, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. They would go after everybody's money. If you're a widow, they'd take it from you. So that's not the idea. But letting people give generously is not anything bad happening in their lives. That's really good happening in their lives. So for all of us, if you're going, you might feel that about yourself. You might go, God, I don't have a lot. Oh, man, I'd like to be generous. And, and I just don't have enough. If, if you would bless me with a lot, I'd be generous. And here's what I say to that. God, I think, has established in Scripture the idea that if you're faithful in a little, in fact, Jesus said this, he'll give you much. Now, you might go, well, if I give a little bit, will he give me a lot of money? That's not what he means, okay? He means this, whatever he puts in your hand, if you'll be faithful with it, okay, then you can trust him. He'll, he'll bless you with more opportunities, more responsibilities, because that's really what this is all about. It's about the heart, right? It's not about money. It's not about an amount of money. It's about the heart. So here's what God says. He says, look, if you'll just be faithful with what I give you. Remember the story of the talents? There was one guy that got five, one guy that got uh, two, one guy that got one. When he came, he didn't expect them all to come up with the same thing. He expected them to be faithful with what he gave them. So if you got a little, just be faithful with a little. If you got a lot, be faithful with a lot. You know, it's not about an amount of money. It's about a heart. And so here, here's how I want to conclude this morning. Our, our title of our message is Thanksgiving. Okay? As you celebrate Thanksgiving this week, and I challenged you with this a little bit earlier, give out of thankfulness. You know, if you already gave your offerings this morning, think about it. When I gave that offering, was I just going, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. And this is just a small token of my appreciation. If you get an opportunity this week to give to somebody, like I said earlier, maybe you know somebody who's in need, or, you know, there could be a ton of opportunities in a lot of different ways, and it may not just be money, all right? It may be something more important than money. But if you get an opportunity, it should flow out of a heart that says, I have been abundantly blessed. Now, you might go when I say that, but I haven't been. And I would argue, but you have. And you might be looking at your bank account going, but I haven't been. And God's looking at what he's given you in Christ and going, but you have. And so maybe you're just looking in the wrong place. And so look in the right place. If you think, well, I haven't been abundantly blessed, you know what you might be doing? You might be looking at somebody else and going, well, compared to them, I'm not abundantly blessed. But you know what you could also do? You could look somewhere else and go, compared to them, I'm abundantly blessed. You know, I read this week there's a study that a psychologist was doing, and he noted that we tend, we have bad issues with comparison. It's just kind of a human nature thing. And if we're comparing whether we're doing enough morally, we always compare to somebody who's worse off than us. All right? So we'll look around and we'll go, oh, they're, they're a dirtbag. I'm really good because they don't do as much as me. If we're comparing, though, when it comes to money, we always look to somebody who has more than us. We never go, oh, look at that person. They have such little. I'm really blessed. 
we always go, that person has so much more than me, I'm just not well off. So it's kind of a human nature thing that we have to push against. But we can find people, trust me, that are a whole lot worse off than whatever your state is today. So, But really, you don't have to do that. What you can do is go, has God blessed me in Christ? And if he has, I need to have a heart of generosity. All right? So here's what I would like you to do with today's message. I would like you just to ask God, God, is my heart generous? And if you think, what, what, what does that look like again? Go back and read 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Look at, look at what happened there. It's an amazing example of generosity. And if you come to the conclusion in your prayer time with God, it's not where I want it to be, then ask God to help you become generous. Okay? That's the goal of this message because I really believe God wants us to live as generous people. Now, if you're a person that's like, you know, my grandfather, he was, he was raised in the Depression. He didn't want to let go of money. I mean, he was as tight as a tight gets. Okay, he, he made his wife pay half the bills. When I was a kid, we'd go over, he'd be like, you know what, it's dark. Go outside to the bathroom, don't flush the toilet. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. He'd be like, use it three or four times before you flush it because that water costs money. He was tight, all right? But you know what? He was a miserable person because of it too. He would have enjoyed life a whole lot more if he'd have been generous. He would have been a different person if he'd let God work generosity in his life. So be a generous person. If you're not there yet, I'm not there yet. I'll be quite honest with you. I look at my life and I compare it to what I think God wants. I'm not generous yet. But I want to be generous. I want to be. So I want to grow. And so where that starts is the heart. And then it works its way out in a lot of different things. And generosity can show up in your life in a lot of different ways. So ask God, God, what do I need to do to move towards generosity? Because God's a generous God, and he's your father. So be like him. Can we do that? All right, why don't you all stand? Now, here's what we're not going to do before you leave. We're not going to take up an offering. Because that was not the purpose of this message. And I sincerely mean that. That was not the purpose of this message. And, and I hope you know that I don't try to uh, guilt you into giving, try to manipulate you into giving, because I don't believe that would be fruitful for you. I don't think it would last very long either. You'd be done with that before long. And I also don't overpromise. And here's what I mean by that. There's sometimes people, when ministers talk about giving, they're going to tell you, you're going to get abundance. You're going to get next week, you know, chip's going to come in. You're going to win the lottery, something. You know, it's going to happen. And people will give, and then something like that doesn't happen. Or they give, and then they have something come up, and they needed that money back. And they're like, buyer's remorse. It's giver's remorse. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have given it. And, and you know what? we got an enemy. we got a, the devil that works against us. You don't think he sees that? You don't think he's going to knock you if you try to give? You know, he's going to come up and go, hey, if I just throw a little extra bill in their lap, they'll abandon that really quick. Just don't. Just trust God. Just trust God. And that's really what all this boils down to because as Christians, that's how we want to live. I want to trust him. And giving takes a lot of faith. It really does. It really does. But you know what? we got a really big God. 
you really do. And so, you know, let him work that in you. Let him work in you how big a God he is and how able he is to take care of you. Because he really is. He really is. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you this morning, Lord, and we we don't offer thanks, Lord, for everything you've done for us. Lord, as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, Lord, I really pray that we would be grateful, uh, most of all, for what you've done in Christ for us. Lord, you've given us life. You've given us a life with you. You've given us the privilege of being your sons and daughters. Lord, you have been generous to us. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. And Father, if if anyone in this room doesn't see the abundance that's been bestowed on them because of something going on, then Lord, I certainly understand the challenges when financial things hit. But Lord, help us just to remember that even when adversity hits us, we're not without you. You're on our side. You're helping us. And you know everything that's going to happen, and you know how you're going to work for our good. So, Lord, we just trust you with our lives. We trust you with our livelihoods. And, Father, today, Lord, I just pray that everyone here would leave this time, Lord, with just the desire to become a generous person. Lord, to let you work that in our hearts. However that shows up in our lives, Lord, I pray that it would just come from the heart of, of knowing that we have been generously given to and we want to generously give to others. So, Father, work that in us. Help us, Lord, to let greed die in our lives, Lord. Lord, may we never pursue the things that our society does where we try to believe who we are based on money or based on things. But, Lord, that we just know we've got you and, and we're content with you because you're the greatest treasure that we could ever be given. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us all, Lord, to to learn to love, to be generous givers. And even, as Paul said, a cheerful, even hilarious giver, somebody who draws joy from giving, Lord. That's our goal. That's who we want to be. And so we pray that you would work that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.